Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. Welcoming the Lord here today. Thanks for being here. Oh 
welcome to Peckway Church. Go ahead and have a seat. felt that way before, that you just get up and you do the same thing. You get ready for work, you go to work, you come home, or some other activity that's monotonous and kind of gets old, and then you're like, what is the meaning of this? Maybe sometimes we feel like a hamster on a wheel, right? You're kind of doing that same thing. But with, with God, um, you know, when we start feeling that way, we can go to him, we can ask him what our purpose is. And so that's what we're going to talk about today as we kick off this new series uh, and seeing how we can live our life well. And so we're excited for that today as we begin. And so uh, it's a great way to start off this new series. Well, thank you again for being here. I'm going to ask you to look inside of your bulletin. Inside there is a gray connection card. Online, you're going to have a connect link that we can pop in the window there um, shortly. And uh, if you would, just take a moment to fill out that card. Either now, you can do it anytime throughout the service as well. But this is a great way that we can connect together. And uh, you can write your prayer requests. You can ask questions about Peckway Church. You can see uh, maybe you're interested in a ministry that is going on here at Peckway Church. This is how we can make that connection. Action. Also, if you are a first-time guest, you can simply take out your mobile phone and you can text the word hello to 717-872-5679. Make sure you follow those prompts that come back to your phone there. But again, a real quick and easy way for us to connect. And also, we are able to text back and forth. Uh, I look at those texts and you, you and I can have those conversations and we keep in touch uh, over those next several weeks. But thank you again for being here this morning. And I, we're so excited that you're here. And uh, I'm loving worshiping with you. Thank you for doing that. I'm going to invite you to stand once again as we continue worshiping the Lord. And it's his name, at his name, we've already talked about that, you know, that uh, death is defeated, right? So let's just continue worshiping this, this morning uh, as he awakens our soul. At your name, the mountains shake and crumb. Your name, 
doing here in this place this morning we are shouting his praise you know it's so great um, when we go out in nature and we see God's handiwork and what he's done and I think that helps us to proclaim what this next song says that God is good let's worship him amazing love that welcomes me
Just sing it to him one more time. goodness but that third verse that if our life should bring suffering that we would see God's goodness in it I know there's many people that we probably can think of today that are suffering they have illness sickness long-term things that have been going on in their hearts and lives and maybe that's you today and maybe you're thinking how can I even think about purpose when I can't get past this very moment of how I feel or somebody else I know and the problems they're going through. How can God be good when there's so much bad around? So would you just bow for just a moment? Would you talk to God about that? He has the answers. He is truly a good God. I promise you that. He is faithful. His love is unconditional. And then we're going to worship him out of that in just a moment going to lift him up because he is worthy. So would you just take that moment? Jesus, would you help us to find meaning, to find purpose in the midst of trials and circumstances or maybe we're thinking of someone today who's suffering but God will we would you help us would you turn our eyes to you would you help us to see your light your goodness today father and help us to remember that you are worthy father because of what you did for us how you gave your life how you suffered for us Jesus and so father would you turn hopelessness into hope today? Would you turn sadness into joy? Father, would you strengthen hearts? Would you bring encouragement as we worship you in this place today, as we hear your word of how you've created us for purpose? And we thank you for what you're going to do. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name.
Father, thank you. You are worthy of our praise, Jesus. Be exalted in this place today. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would have your will and your way in this place, that you would stir hearts. Father, you would help us to see your purpose and your meaning in all things in life, God. We thank you for what you're going to do. And uh, Lord, we worship and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And as we settle in, I just want to say good morning, and it's great to be home. I want to say thank you to the staff, Pastor Chris, you as a congregation. I've been away uh, since the last three weeks, and I've actually been out of the pulpit the last six weeks, and I'm just so thankful for what I've heard and what I knew Pastor Chris would do in bringing the messages. But I also want to say thank you to Pastor Scott this morning for being sensitive to the reality that every Sunday, it just dawned on me and Scott was so in tune, so often we come on the Sunday morning, we affirm, we sing these incredible truths, but if we're not careful, those truths can become disconnected from our lives. You know what I'm talking about? We could affirm the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, and then we become these frenzied, frightened individuals as we go, is God going to see me through? Is God going to care for me? And so I just appreciate what Pastor Scott did for us and just let us honestly grapple with are the truths that we're affirming in song, are the truths that we're talking about in Bible study, realities in our lives? And I don't say that to shame us or guilt us. You, you might be working through that. And if you are working through that, bringing those truths to, to fruition in your life, to bringing them align in your life, I just want to say I'm glad you're here. Continue to grapple. Don't grapple alone. Bring us in. Let us as a church family support you. Because there are times when all of us grapple with living out those truths, truly trusting those incredible truths of God. And certainly this series, I hope, is going to be another one of those times where we grapple with these incredible truths that God created us for a purpose and how that works out in our lives. And let me get into the message this way this morning. Some of you follow this, some of you don't, but back in May, Time Magazine published their list of 100 most influential people of the last year. And what they did is instead of simply taking one long list, they break it down into six categories. Those categories are artists, innovators, titans, leaders, icons, and pioneers. And let's just kind of jump into this. Up on the screen, take a look. In the artist category, they, they name people. Now, there are many, many, but they name people in that list. People like Sarah Jessica Parker, Pete Davidson, and Channing Tatum. That, that's in the artist category. When it came to the innovators, they mentioned two men that I honestly had to go out and look up, Christian Smalls and Derek Palmer. Now, some of you recognize their names probably like me. Many of us don't, but they really suddenly were catapulted into notoriety because they were the two men who led the push, the drive, to unionize an Amazon warehouse in Staten Island, and they won. They literally brought up the powerhouse of Amazon to its knees by unionizing. So they were recognized this last year, this year, as innovators. When it comes to titans, really business titans, giants in the industry, they named, among others, obviously Oprah, Oprah, who we all recognize, and Tim Cook, who is now the CEO of Apple. When it came to leaders, they named Vladimir Zelensky as president of the Ukraine, thank you guys, and Vladimir Putin, and two individuals that we know agree or disagree, the reality is they have been largely influential in politics in the world over the last 12 months. When it came to icons, they named Adele and Keanu Reeves, who again, I think we recognize them as being cultural icons, people who are just recognized broadly in our culture. And finally, in the category of pioneer, they led 
they recognized and listed Gregory L. Robinson and Candace Parker. Now, Gregory Robinson just retired from NASA as part of their space telescope program, leading that for the last 30 years. And Candace Parker is, is playing for the Chicago Skies the last 14 years, women's national basketball, women's NBA, an incredible athlete, incredible pioneer in her own right. Now here's the reason I share that. Here's the reason I take the time to walk you through that. It's to set this up. It's something that the editor-in-chief wrote and said in reflecting on this list. He, he really asked a question and then he answered his question. Here was the question. Who writes history? Who writes history was his question. And here's how he answered his own question. He said, as we think back over this, this past decade, this past era, he said, I think it's a fair bet to say that many of people on that list will be recognized as the people who wrote history. Now, I recognize where he's coming from, and in some ways I may agree with him, but here's how I would respond to that statement. Maybe that's the people who wrote history if we simply see history through the lens of politics and entertainments and athletics and business. If that's how we view history, then yeah, they probably wrote history. But I'm going to suggest to you as we launch into this series what I think is a far more important and significant question, and that is, who makes history? Who really makes history? And I'm going to suggest to you the answer to that question is anyone and everyone who finds and then fulfills their God-given purpose in life. They maybe may not do it on the scale that these individuals that we just look at will do it and are recognized, but I promise you, any man, any woman who finds their purpose, God-given plan, and then with God's help does their best to live it out, is a history maker. Now, having said that, I want to ask you this question. Do you believe that? You don't have to answer it out loud. Don't answer it to humor me. I want to ask you sincerely, though, do you believe that? Do you believe each and every one of us has a God-given, unique purpose and plan in life? I ask that question because in the book of Genesis, and really the entire Bible from cover to cover, the argument is made that God has created us intentionally, purposely, for a specific reason in this world. And I share that because the implication of that statement is this, folks, which means you and I are not here by accident. We are not here by random chance. We are, in fact, here by the very intention and design of God. But my question to you again is this. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because if we do, folks, it will affect how we live our lives. It, it will affect how we live in community. It'll, live, it'll affect how we live out in the community. The truth is, if we believe God created us for a purpose then there is meaning and there is direction and there is intentionality that comes to bear in our lives. And so as I kick off this series, I wanted to begin by grounding us in that fact that each and every one of us have been created by God for a purpose, for a specific, unique, God-designed purpose. And as I said, throughout the Bible, we can see that from Genesis to Revelation, but I would suggest to you, in my opinion, only my opinion, that we can see that no clearer and more concise way than in the book of Genesis. And so what I want to do is, if you will, is if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. This is one of those easy books to find, right? Go to, go to the table of contents and, and, and take a right. The first book, the first chapter, Genesis chapter 1. I just want to read two verses, two jam-packed verses, but very short verses, 
to help us get at this idea that we're created for a purpose, to see this lived out and expressed by God himself through the men and women he inspired to write. So here's what it says, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created him in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now here's the reason I asked you to go there, folks. In those two short verses, densely packed but short verses, God gives us four amazing statements about who we are. And what I want to do for our time together this morning is just unpack them. So let's just jump in. Here's the first statement. And you're going to be able to pull these out yourself, but just for giggles and grins, let me do it. Here's, here's the first statement. We are created. We are created. See, beginning, it says, then God said, let us make man. Now, what we understand when we read that in Genesis chapter 1, folks, the key divide that's brought out there is not between creation and evolution. Now, hear me. Don't shut me off. The key divide brought out in Genesis chapter 1 is not between creation and evolution. It's between a naturalistic view of the world and a theistic view of the world. And let me explain that. A naturalistic view of the world says the stuff that is, the matter and the material, is all there is. Does that make sense? That's a naturalistic view of the world. On the other hand, is a theistic view of the world which says and affirms there is a God and that God is active. As Christians, we affirm a theistic view of the universe, of the world. And so what that entails, and what we just read there, is it says we believe that God created us. We absolutely believe we are the creation, the product of God's activity. But I say that because even in a Christian community where we are today, I know people struggle with that. I know people struggle, professing Christians even, struggle to really believe that. And if that's where you're at today, I, I respect you and, and, and take this in the spirit I share it. I just offer you and encourage you to consider three things I want to lay out for you this morning. Here's the first thing. If that's where you're at, you struggle to really accept this theistic view of the universe, then here's the first question I want you to consider. Take some time this week. Where does human personality the soul, or if you will, consciousness come from? Where, where does human personality, the soul, if you will, or the consciousness come from? Some of you are familiar with the name Rene Descartes. He was a philosopher, and when he tried to distill the, the, the starting point for reason, the starting point for logic and rationale, he made a famous statement that probably all of you can finish. He simply said this, I think, therefore I am. He said that was a starting point of reason and logic, but here's the question. Here's the, the, that statement begs this question. Where did reason and logic and the ability to think come from? Where does self-reflection come from? Where does self-awareness come from? Because only you and I as human beings have that capacity of self-reflection, self-consciousness. You've heard it said, I've heard it said. People say, you and I are just slightly altered chimpanzee-like apes because we share 99.4% of their DNA. That, that, scientists would say, is a scientific fact. But folks, I'll, honest, I'll be honest with you, when I hear that, it loses me, and here's why. And I'll just quote John Ortberg at this point. John Ortberg said, if you really believe that, then ask yourself this question. Would you let a chimpanzee watch one of your children? Would you date a chimpanzee? 
Would you think it rational to hold a chimpanzee accountable in a court of law for his or her behavior? The point he was trying to make isn't to be aggressive or to be antagonistic. The point he was trying to make is this, that there is more to being human than simply our DNA. There's more to it, folks, and we get that. We intuitively get that. And that really leads us to the second thing I'd have you consider, and that is our spirituality. Our spirituality. See, anthropologists have to confess, wherever they land on this continuum of naturalistic view of the world or theistic view of the world, they have to acknowledge that there is a clear and traceable awareness across time and across cultures of this incurable consciousness of God. But the question that begs to be asked again is, where did that consciousness come from? I mean, if there is no God, if we evolved you know, in an evolutionary process, naturalistically, it makes no sense. I mean, just net it out. Think about it. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, the argument is, supposedly, that, that naturalistic needs and desires evolve from the realities of the world. Does that make sense? And so, for example... We, we would argue that, you know, we have, this, we have this drive to eat. And in response to that drive to eat, guess what? There's food to eat. He says we have this drive to procreate, and guess what? There's sexual relationships to fulfill that desire, that appetite. And yet he says we have this incurable consciousness of God, and there's no God? It makes no sense. It logically makes no sense. And again, I take you to the third argument I really have you think, or quality I'd have you to consider is this, folks. What do we do with the surprising consensus across cultures of all places and all times regarding what is right and wrong? Fascinating study was just completed a few years ago at Oxford University. And what they did, there's the most extensive sociological study that's ever been conducted. And what they did in that study is they set out to prove they were, their assumption that they were testing the hypothesis that different cultures have different versions of morality. They were absolutely convinced of that, and so they set out to prove that. But you know what happened? They found the exact opposite. What they discovered is that all cultures are held together by a small set, a similar set of rules. Folks, the question again says, where does that shared sense of morality come from? Where is it? How is it that we have it? It's almost as if, now they didn't say that, I'm suggesting that. Based on that data, I would say to you folks, it's almost as if a shared morality has been written on all our hearts. And I don't know to sooner say that, and some of you have done made the same mental jump. My mind, as soon as I say that, goes to Romans chapter 2, because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul argued. That's exactly what Paul said when he wrote this. Take a look on your outline, up on the screens. He said, when outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There is something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, God's right and wrong. National Public Radio, NPR, reported, again, a few years ago, about the things that stump the scientific mind today. And you know what they said it was? The very things we're talking about right now. The question of what does it mean to be human? And where does consciousness come from? 
And they struggle with it, folks, because they have to admit there are so, no scientific explanations or answers to that question. But you know what there is? There are biblical answers to that question. For in Genesis chapter 1, we read, In the beginning, God created. And folks, the implications for that statement are incredible. Because when we read and when we hear God created, you know what that means? It means you and I are here on purpose. We have purpose and meaning. We're not accident. We're not a result of random chance. And that, in that fact, in itself, gives us meaning and purpose in life. At least it ought to. Folks, the reality is, Paul wrote what he did in light of that truth. Take a look at the next verses. He wrote to the Colossians. He said, everything, absolutely everything, everything above and below visible and invisible everything got started in him and underlined this and finds its purpose in him so the first amazing truth that we see in genesis chapter one that we understand about who we are is that we were created that's point number one the second amazing statement is this we were created in the image of god we were created in the image of god Look at what we read next there on your outline. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, folks, when God created us, that verse is telling us that God puts something of himself in us. And it's more than simply self-awareness, consciousness, and it's more than the ability to think or reason. What that scripture in Genesis is going to help us understand and God's word helps us understand that the thing that God put in us more significant than anything else is a soul. And the soul is our capacity. It's the means by which we're able to relate to God. And listen, no other part of creation can do that. No other part of creation has that ability. Plants don't. You know, reptiles don't. Insects don't. Birds don't. Fish don't, dogs don't, and forgive me, but certainly cats don't. I mean, the reality, forgive me cat lovers, if you want to email me, email me at Scott Munson, Peckway Church. No, just kidding. <laughs> Folks, you and you and I alone as human beings have the capacity to relate to God, to have a relationship with God. And because that is true, please hear me, because that is true, folks, we need to understand that we will never fully experience what it means to be human. We will never truly experience what it means to be a man or a woman if we do not accept that relationship with God. That's why Oz Guinness wrote this. He said, our primary calling in life is not to something or somewhere. It's to someone. That relationship with God. But that's not all. Because we are created in the image of God, folks, we are of incalculable worth. We are of unbelievable worth. No matter our race, no matter our gender, no matter our income level, no matter where we live in the world, no matter of our physical or mental abilities, because we bear the image of God, we are of incalculable worth in the eyes of God and should be in the eyes of one another. And that reality, folks, as men and women of God, as the church, must guide us in our efforts as we seek and work for equality. Just as it guided the efforts of Martin Luther King Jr. in his efforts 
for equality. I want you to listen to something he wrote. It's in his book, Letters from Prison. He wrote it from a jail cell in Birmingham, Alabama, back in the 60s. Here's what he wrote. He says, there are two types of law, just and unjust. A just law is a man-made code that squares with moral law, or that is the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law, or again, the law of God. Any law that uplifts personality, human personality, is just, but any law that degrades human personality is unjust. And then he wrote this, all segregation statutes are unjust because they distort the soul and damage the human personality. Folks, let me be clear with you from my heart as I understand God's word after 30 years of studying it professionally, personally, folks, equality between the races equality between genders, equality between economic groups will never exist until we accept God's law that we were created in His image. And because of that, every individual, regardless of what anyone might say, is of incalculable value. Desmond Tutu, some of you recognize that name, Bishop Desmond Tutu, Nobel Peace Prize winner, incredible man who worked against apartheid in his entire life, tells a story how he became an Anglican priest and ultimately an Anglican bishop. He said, when I was just a young boy growing up, he was born in the 1930s, so this probably happened late 30s, 1940s. He said, when I was growing up under apartheid, there was the cultural expectation that when a white person met a black person on the sidewalk, the black person would step off into the gutter as a sign of respect, as a sign of deference. He said, one day my mother and I were walking on a sidewalk and we looked up and we saw a white man in a black suit coming toward us. And he said, before we could step off the sidewalk into the gutter, the white man stepped off into the gutter. And as my mother passed, he tipped his hat as a sign of respect to her. He said, I was blown away. I was confused as a young boy. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what was happening. So I asked my mom, mom, why did he do that? And he said, his memory was... His mother said this, he said, it's because as an Anglican priest, more importantly, it's because as a man of God. And Desmond Tutu says, in that moment, I, I decided two things. First, I wanted to be an Anglican priest. More importantly, I decided I would be a man of God. Folks, that happened. And the impact that Desmond Tutu had in this world was because an Anglican priest understood this truth, that we are created in the image of God, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of economic status. Folks, that's the second amazing truth we're taught about our purpose in life from Genesis. We are created, not just created, but created in the image of God. Let me share you the third amazing truth, and it's this. We are created male and female. We are created male and female. Take a look at the next verse there on your eyelid. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Folks, when God created us, when he created humanity, he intentionally created us diverse. And clearly on that verse, that diversity includes gender. But having said that, keep listening, folks. It goes deeper than simply gender. It also includes things like who we are emotionally, who we are intellectually. And I would suggest to you that diversity is why marriage counselors stay in business. 
Tell you a funny story, true story. A, 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 a journalist asked Ruth Graham one time, the, the wife of Billy Graham, if you don't recognize the name, she said, did you, the journalist asked her, did you ever consider divorce honestly? And without pausing, she said, no, never considered a divorce. Murder, I did, <laughs> but never divorce. Now, if you're married, ever been married, you, you get the joke, right? We understand because of that diversity. I tell premarital couples all the time, what I've discovered in life is opposites attract, and then after marriage, they attack. It's that diversity that we're talking about. But listen to me, folks. That diversity God created with us is in full display, is seen most completely and fully in the unique characteristics He gives each and every one of us that truly makes us one-of-a-kind creations. Are you willing to have a little fun with this? Can, can we just do group participation for a minute or two? I want you to do this. And, and, I, and this is the closest I told the, I told the sound team, this is the closest I'll ever come to singing on the platform. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to hum with me. You know what I mean? Hmm. Can we just do that? Just, just trust me on this one. Just throw your heart into it. Okay, let's do it. One, two, three. Hmm. That was good. I'm, I'm impressed. But you know what we just experienced? Our uniqueness. Because no one else in this room, no one else in this world has your intonation. No one else in this world has your vocal pitch. No one else has the speed at which you do that. It is a unique fingerprint on your life. That's why, you know, people in, in security actually use voice recognition as a means of security because no one else has your voice. Want to try another one? How about this? Take your finger and trace the outside of your ear. I promise this isn't a prank. Just trace it. I, no, here, here's the reason I had you do that. I, I recognize all of us know that our fingerprints are unique, but do you realize nobody else in this world among 7 billion people have the same shape of the outside of the earth that you do? Yahoo has been since 2015 working on technology to unlock smartphones with an ear scan. Because it's expensive and the intricacy to do a, a fingerprint scan is expensive, so it's only on expensive telephones. But they, in any smartphone, the camera is sufficient to be able to trace your ear and literally unlock it just by looking your ear. But, 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 and the same thing is true of your lips. The same thing is true of your tongue. The same thing is true of your toes. And folks, on and on it goes. The reality is you among 7 billion plus people in this world are uniquely you. No one ever has or ever will be you on the face of this earth. And that's why King David, literally almost 3,000 years ago to write this, look at your outline, he says, I am your unique creation, filled with wonder and awe. You have approached even the smallest details with excellence. Now just think about what we did and think about what David wrote, folks. You are an incredible, unique, one-of-a-kind creation of God. That's what Genesis is telling about. Let me give you the final amazing truth. The final amazing statement is this. We were created for a purpose. Let's take a look at this. It says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over the creatures that move along the ground. You and I, as human beings alone of all creation, have been given authority and responsibility by God to rule over the earth, to oversee it, to steward it. Now, let me say a couple things. Let me clear up some confusion potentially in our minds. I hear people all the time grab hold of one piece of that and say, okay, so God gave us the earth for our benefit. And that is true. But inherent in that gift is a responsibility to steward it, to take care of it. And that's why, folks, things like the extinction of species, 
Things like pollution, things like deforestation are important, not just because it impacts our survival as a species, because God has given us responsibility to care for creation. And so listen to me, and I, uh, since I'm just kind of being potentially controversial, let me continue, folks. Here's what we need to understand when we read that from Genesis. Conservationism and environmentalism aren't just political issues. They're spiritual issues. Now, how we work that out is up individualistic, but we need to understand, folks, because God has given us responsibility to steward creation, those are important issues to us as Christians, how we care for God's creation. But I share all that really to go to this point, folks. At the very heart of God making us responsible for creation is the fact in doing that, God gave us meaning and purpose in life. Does that make sense? He gave us meaning and purpose in life. And so, folks, the goal of your life and the goal of my life has to be greater than simply surviving. It has to be greater even than thriving. The goal of our life must be to fulfill the purpose for which God created us. Let me give you a little bit of biblical information to help you think about this. If you'll do a study of it, if you'll take the time, you go, who has the time? But if, let me just tell you, let me save you some time. There is in the Bible over a thousand references to God having a purpose for your life and mine. A thousand references, over a thousand references. Now here's my question in light of that biblical fact. Do you believe for a second that there would be that many references in God's word to you and I having a purpose of life if it didn't matter to God? If you and I finding it and, didn't, and following it wasn't incredibly important to God? I'll answer my own question like the editor of Time. Absolutely not. Let me give you one biblical example of that. We've all heard of King David. Many recognize him as the greatest political military leader the world's ever produced. And most people are familiar with David and Bathsheba, David and Goliath, David and Saul, David and Jonathan. But you know that what the very last thing we're told about David, that incredible man of God and of history was? It's not even found in the Old Testament. It's found in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 13, I want you to look at what it says. It's one of my favorite verses, most profound verses in my life in the Bible. It says, David served God's purposes in his own time, then he died. Wouldn't that be an incredible appetite to have? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing for someone to eulogize us at a funeral saying, Jerry served God's purposes in his time. Jerry did what God wanted him to do. Jerry fulfilled God's God-given purpose in life, and then he died. How awesome would that be to have that said about us? Folks, here's why I share that. That's God's target for your life. That's God's target for my life. Because God has uniquely created us with unique gifts and abilities for a one-of-a-kind creation to fulfill a specific plan and purpose for our lives, a plan that he has uniquely designed for us. But listen to me. The reason we're starting here is because I believe reading God's word, personal experience, we will not fulfill that purpose unless we begin with the assumption that we're our unique creations of God, uniquely gifted, uniquely equipped by God to fulfill a one-of-a-kind purpose in this world. I'm going to share with you a story, true story, from Fred Craddock. If you don't recognize that name, he was for years a preaching professor at Emory University. Incredible communicator, incredible preacher. Passed away almost a decade ago. But he talks about a time early in his ministry, probably in the, in, in the 40s, being with his wife in a little diner in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. 
And as he sat there at the diner, he noticed an old man, a, an old gentleman in bib overalls come in and begin walking between the tables talking to people. He was there on vacation with his wife, so he missed He said, you know, I thought to myself, I hope he doesn't come over to our table. But sure enough, he did. As he stood at the edge of the table, he said, so what's your name, mister? And Fred Craddock admitted being a little bit irritated because he, he was there to spend time with his wife. So he said, kind of, he just answered Fred abruptly and turned back to his wife, hoping the old guy would take the clue, and he didn't. Instead, he reached over, pulled up a chair, and, and said, so what do you do for a living? And again, Fred Craddock figuring, you know, and I, I identify with this, he figured if he told him what he did for a living, it would end the conversation. So he said, I am a professor at homiletics in a theological seminary. And the old guy thought about it for a second. He said, oh, you're a preacher. I got a preacher's story for you. Can I join you? And Fred, you know, he said, at this point, I knew the cause was lost. So he said, sure, be our guest. And the old guy sat down. And he pointed Fred and his wife to look out the window. He said, you see those hills over there? I was born back in those hills. He says, for as long as I remember, I always felt like people were looking at me and talking about me. Because the truth is, I don't know who my father is. He said, I felt that way when I walked down the street. I felt that way when I was in the store. I felt that way at the post office, at the, at the library. Anywhere and everywhere I went, I always felt like everyone was looking at me and talking about me. He said, so as a young boy, I would sit in the back of the class, and when the kid, other kids went out to play, I would stay behind, because wherever I went, whoever I was with, the question was all the same. Who's your daddy, Ben? Who's your daddy? So when I turned 12 years old, we got a new preacher in town. Now, I've never went to church, but the talk about this preacher was so good, I decided I got to hear him, and so I went. But I was always careful to be sure I went late and left early, because I never wanted to talk to anyone coming and going. Well, one day I get so caught up in the message before I realized that the service was over, people were in the aisles, and I couldn't get out. And he said, just about then it happened. He said, I felt this big hand on my shoulder. And I looked up, and it was a preacher. And the preacher said to me, what's your name, boy? Who's your daddy? He said in that moment, it was like he stuck a knife in me. The pain went from the bottom of my toes to the top of my head. He said, I don't know if it happened, but it sure felt like everyone in the church stopped and everyone listened to hear what I was going to say next. And that preacher, almost sensing, I guess sensing, what was going on, he said to me, wait a minute. I see the family resemblance. I know whose boy you are. You're a child of God. Your father's God. He said, don't you ever forget that boy. You understand me? Your father is God. You have a great inheritance. Now you go and claim it. Well, with that, Fred said, the old guy moved by his own story, wiped away a tear and stood up to leave. But he said, before he left, he looked at me again and said, Fred, I want to tell you something. Those three simple statements, God's your father. You've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. Change my life. For I reckon I, my life would never have mounted to anything 
if he hadn't said that to me that day. If he hadn't helped me understand that I was created by God and God had a purpose for my life. Well, with that, he excused himself and went out the door of the diner. And Fred Craddock said no, no sooner had he done that than, than the waitress, who I'd seen the whole time kind of hovering close by trying to listen in, come running over to the table and said, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know who that man was? He said, yeah, some old guy named Ben. She said, that's Ben Hooper, a former two-time governor of the state of Tennessee. Folks, listen to me. Because a loving, compassionate, sensitive man of God helped a 12-year-old boy understand that he was created by God. And God had a purpose for his life. It forever changed Ben Hooper's life. And here's the reason I share that, folks. It can do the same thing for you and me. And it could do the same thing for every person we love and know. But for that to happen, first we have to accept the absolute fact that we're created by God. And that loving God created us in His image. And that loving God created us not only in His image, but because we are created in His image, He gave us, He attributed to us incredible, incalculable worth, and then gifted us with unique abilities to fulfill a purpose that He has planned for us from the beginning. And what that means is this, folks. We are not free to decide what we do with our lives. We are not free to determine our purpose in life. God has already done that. When he said, I created you not just simply to write history, but to make history. And folks, over the next six weeks, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at how that could happen in our lives. And so I pray and I hope that you'll be here the next six weeks. And I hope and I pray not only you'll be here, but you'll invite those people that you know are part of your life like they're part of mine who need to know that God created them for a purpose, that God created them intentionally, that they're not an accident. Because I promise you what we're going to see and learn in this series has the potential of launching many of us onto an incredible life-changing journey. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, I continually stand amazed by the wisdom and care you put into creating each and every one of us. I'm amazed at how your loving, compassionate hand guided us and brought us each and every one into existence, into being. And so my prayer is that you will use that reality to not only bring us to our knees to a place of worship and adoration for who you are, but then lead us to ask you to help us to then find and follow the purpose for which you created us in life. I pray over these next six weeks, we will be compelled to not only tell others, but we will be compelled to resolve to live lives increasingly deep and purpose-filled to your honor and to your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, Jerry, for that message this morning. And thank you all for being here as we start the series. I wanted to uh, remind you again, if you haven't already filled out that gray connection card, please take a moment to do that before you leave. Also online with that connect link, uh, you can do that as well. But I want to ask you to make a commitment to be here for this series. And if you're willing to do that, if you'll write that on your card, we'll be praying for you this week. Um, You can also do that online if you'll mark that there as well. 
But um, we want to pray along with you as you do that. I think this is going to be a very important series for us that because I know we all want to live our lives well. And uh, so by doing that and uh, us praying for one another, um, we can make sure those obstacles that might come in our way, that something that might seem like it's better, but there's going to be no better place to be than hearing God's house and hearing those words. Uh, also, if you would like to give this morning, you can have the opportunity to do that. There's uh, envelopes at the back of the room there. You can give online. I'm going to post a, a give link in the chat window in just a moment as well for those of you online that would like to give. But thank you so much for your generosity each and every week. That helps us to be able to provide for people online who are watching, also for any of those things, any kind of uh, resources that are available to you guys, whether in person or at home, or wherever you might be. So thanks again for being here and worshiping with us, and I hope you have a great rest of your week, and I hope to see you again next week. Have a good day.